All right. Well, I want to invite you today to open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to be in verse 23. My name is Matt Carter. I'm the pastor of preaching here. We're so glad you're here. If you've joined us, if this is your first time, thank you for fighting the traffic and parking and all that stuff to make it into the room today. We're so glad you're here. If you're uh, joining us at another campus and, and getting this via uh, satellite, we're so glad you're with us also. But um, <clears throat> beginning a sermon series today, <clears throat> excuse me, called This Matters. And essentially what we're doing is we're looking at why we do some of the things that we do here at the Austin Stone Community Church. I mean, every year we find out that there are tons of people that walk into our doors for the first time. Um, and maybe you went to church a few times when you were young, but you got away from it when you were older. And you really don't remember or know what church is all about or why we do what we do. <clears throat> maybe some of you grew up in um, maybe a, a certain denomination or a Catholic background. And you're like, man, I don't know why they do certain things this way and not other ways that maybe you grew up with. And there's also a lot of you, and I know this to be true because of the surveys we've, we've done and stuff in the past, that are brand new to church, that maybe you've been before, but, but you're not somebody that goes to church very often or have in your past. And, and uh, I became kind of aware of, of the, the view of church from someone that hadn't grown up in it, because I grew up in church, and it was the summer, my, my sister-in-law's boyfriend, um, I wanted to get to know him better, they're thinking about getting married, and I wanted to get to know the guy, and... He's a, he's a fishing guide in the Keys, and so I called him and said, hey, man, can I come down there and go fishing with you? And he was like, yeah. And so <clears throat> I mean, a friend of mine flew over there and went fishing with him for a few days and spent three days on a boat with this guy, and you get to know somebody pretty well. You spend three days on a boat with him, and come to find out, he has never in his entire life, I think he's 31 or 32 years old, he's never in his entire life darkened the doors of a church. Never, never been one time. And so we started talking and, and he was fascinated with the whole concept of me being a pastor and, and what church looked like and that sort of, and he started asking me questions. He was like, okay, so um, you're, you're, a, you're a priest of a church. What does that mean? And I was like, well, I'm not really a priest. Um, I'm a pastor and I'm, uh, I'm like a priest that gets to get married and not wear those clothes. And so he's like, okay, I get that. And, and then he would ask me about the Bible. He's like, all right, I've heard of the Bible before, but what is it? And I go, what do you mean, what is it? Because I just assume people know what the Bible is. And he's like, I, man, I have absolutely no clue what the Bible is. What's the Bible? And so I would be able to tell him, well, this is what it was. And he's like, well, how do you know it's true? And I would tell him why we knew it's true. And the, but the thing that blew his mind was he, he, he asked the question. He goes, Matt, so how do you make a living? And I said, well, I, 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 I'm a pastor of a church. And he goes, I know, but like, how do you make a living? And I was like, well, I, I run the day-to-day -day operations of the church. And, and I preach and, and I pastor people. And. He says, I know, I know, but like, how do you get paid? And I said, well, people give money to the church and then the church, uh, you know, pays my salary. And then he, that just completely, of all the things we talked about, like, you know, uh, that, that God spoke to people and there's a Bible, that didn't bother him that much. The fact that people gave money to a church, that blew his mind. He couldn't get his mind around that. But the thing that hit me, <clears throat> and the point is this, that I think us pastoral types just assume that people come to church and just inherently understand why we do what we do. But even folks that have gone to church for a long time, a lot of times don't. Like, Why do we take people, once they've trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, why do we take them and dunk them in water and, 
and call it baptism. Like, why do we do that? What's the point of that? Why do we have that thing called the Lord's Supper where, you know, you come and you take a piece of bread and, and you drink some grape juice and why, why do we do that? What's that about? What, what's the purpose of that? What does that mean? Why do we have that in church? Why do we sing in church? That's probably one of the biggest or the, probably the, the question I get the most, if believe it or not, of everything is like, why do you guys like have a dude up here with some tattoos? You'll have a big sing-along before you get up and preach. Like, what's the point of that? I get asked that a lot. Why, why do we, why do you preach? You know, what's the point of preaching? And so today we're going to talk specifically um, about preaching. And, 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 and I'll get into that in just a second. But the reason that we're doing this series is because not only do we want you to understand why we do what we do as a church, but we're hoping that the result would be, once you understand why, is that you will engage more in the life of the church than you ever have before. That you'll understand, okay, that's what that means. That's why they do that. And not only would you understand it, but you would engage in it. And not only that you would engage in it, but that you would love it. I want us to be a generation that loves the church. I want us to be a generation that loves the bride of Christ. Jesus is crazy about his bride. That's what the scripture calls us, his bride, the church. He's nuts about us. And I want us to be in love with whom Jesus is in love with. And that is his bride, the church. And that's what all this is about. <clears throat> so I want to I answer two questions today about preaching. First, I want to answer why we preach. Why we preach. And two, um, I want to answer the question, why do we preach the way that we do here at the Austin Zone? Because there's a very intentional and there's a very specific way that we preach in this church. And I want you to understand those two things. So the first question is this, why do we preach? Why every Sunday does somebody stand up on this stage and speak? Why does somebody come up on the stage, open up the scriptures and teach you from that? Why do we even do that in the first place? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but I want to give you what, in my opinion, I think is probably the most important. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. We've got the scriptures behind me on the screen. <clears throat> Let me read this to you. This is Paul speaking to the young church in Corinth who was beginning to gather together and have worship services. And he's kind of correcting their theology, if you will, and their functioning as a church. And watch what he says. He says, if therefore <coughs> the whole church comes together, and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? And let me just stop real quick and talk about that for a second. I don't want to turn this into a sermon on speaking in tongues, but speaking in tongues is where the Holy Spirit gives a person the ability to speak in a language that's not their own or speak in a language that's between them and God. And typically there's an interpreter for that. And I don't want this, we can talk about that on another day. It's a whole sermon unto itself. But Paul's basically saying this. He said, look, if a non-believer walks in the doors of the church and everybody is saying their own thing, if everybody's speaking in a different language, if everybody's talking at the same time, then a, then a lost person, a person that does not know the Lord, a person that, that is a non-believer, they're going to walk in the doors. They're going to see everybody speaking in these tongues and they're going to think you're crazy. And then he goes on, look at verse 24, kind of the point of our sermon today. He says, but... If all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. 
And so here's what Paul just said. Because you're having church, somebody that is a non-believer, somebody that's not a Christian walks in the door, everybody's speaking in tongues, they're going to think you're crazy. But listen, if, the, if that same person walks in the door and there's prophecy going on in the church, then there's going to be a radically different reaction. Now, hang with me because I'm going to do just a little quick theological lesson here. We're going we're to figure out what Paul is saying here when he's talking about prophecy. Okay, The word prophecy means to speak under divine inspiration. That's what the word prophecy means, to speak under divine inspiration. Now, listen carefully to this. There's a radically different meaning of the word prophecy in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Radically different meaning in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God would speak to a prophet. He would, he would speak to a prophet, Jeremiah, Moses, um, Isaiah, he would come, he would speak to a prophet, and then what the prophet would do is he would hear a word from the Lord, and then he would go to the people of God, and he would speak to the people of God the word he just heard from the Lord. That's prophecy in the Old Testament, all right? But in the New Testament, it's very, very different. In the New Testament, listen, prophecy is still speaking under divine inspiration, but here's the main difference. Prophecy in the New Testament is not a prophet hearing something from God, some new word from God and telling the people what he said. But prophecy in the New Testament is a prophet speaking under divine inspiration something that God has already said. So it's not him hearing from God and speaking to the people. It's, it's seeing something that God has already said and then speaking it to the people. That is prophecy in the New Testament. All right, don't turn there, but just check this out. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, watch what the scripture says. It says, long ago, <coughs> and by, by the way, I've got this for a reason. I'm going to read out of it at the end of the sermon, but I usually put my verses on my paper. So if you're like, Matt, why do you have a Bible, but you're not preaching out of it? That's why. Um, Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1. it says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created all things. And so listen, God has already spoken to us through his prophets. Um, you know, again, Moses, Jeremiah, the um, Old Testament prophets, minor prophets, major prophets, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. God has spoken to us through his prophets. And then Jesus came. And then God spoke to us through Jesus when he was here on this earth. And then through the New Testament writers, the scripture said God spoke to them and under divine inspiration, they wrote down what God has already spoken. Now hear this clearly. The scripture is very clear that at that point, after the Old Testament prophets, they heard from God and they spoke. Jesus came, he was God, he spoke. And then the New Testament writers, they heard from God, he spoke. At that point, the scripture is clear that there is no new revelation, new revelation coming from God. The scripture is totally clear. There's, there's no new word from the Lord that's not in the Bible. The scripture is absolutely clear. And as a matter of fact, <clears throat> there are some pretty severe consequences, the Bible says, for those who kind of come up and say, hey, I got a new word from God. It's not in the Bible, but you got to do what I say because God told me. All right? Listen, don't turn there, but Revelation twenty two eighteen. Listen to what the scripture says is going to happen to people that say they got a word from God. It has nothing to do with the Bible. Check it out. It says, I warn everyone who hears the words of prophecy of this book. 
If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. Okay, the scripture just said, you do not take away from what God has already said in the scripture and you do not add to what God has said in the scripture or he's gonna send some plagues your way and you're not going to heaven, all right? So important safety tip, do not say, hey, I got this new word from God. I know it's not the Bible, but I got a new word from God and you gotta do what I say because I got a new word from God. You got plagues coming your way, all right? And I don't know what those are, but it sounds kind of nasty, right? So here's the point. Prophecy in the New Testament is speaking under divine inspiration what it is that God has already said. So what is that? What is speaking something that God has already said? That's preaching. That's preaching. Paul is talking about preaching here. Speaking teaching the word of God something that he's already told us. Let's read this again. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all are speaking in tongues and an outsider, an unbeliever enters, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy or preach, that's what he's saying there, if all prophesy. Now let me just stop right there, a little side note. That little word all right there, that word all is one of the reasons, if you've ever wondered why we have multiple teachers here at the Austin Stone. I don't know if you've ever thought that or wondered that, why I'm I'm not the only guy that talks or Hall M's not the only guy that talks or, or your campus pastor's not the only one that speaks and teaches from the scripture because we don't see a ton of evidence in the Bible of there just being one guy who's Um, under the inspiration of God speaking the words that God has already said. We see multiple voices in the church, okay? It's a little side note there. But again, Paul's saying, somebody walks in, everybody's speaking in tongues, they're gonna think you're crazy. But if that same person walks in and the word of God is being preached, and the word of God is being preached, that person is gonna have a radically different reaction. Let's read it again, 1 Corinthians 14, 24. He says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, here's what happens. It says, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. When someone speaks under divine inspiration that which God has already said, in other words, when someone in the church is preaching the word of God, some things happen in our lives. One, the scripture says that we are convicted of our sin. We, we realize that we have sin. A lot of times I think it's easy for us to just walk out these doors and live our lives and not even be aware of the fact that we have fallen short of the glory of God. It says the preaching of the word of God is one of the things in our lives that will actually bring about conviction of the fact that we have sin. He goes on, he says, he he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. That that means that that the preaching of God's word will help a person realize that they're will be judgment because of the sin in our lives. 
the, the, the right preaching of the word of God will make you aware of the holiness of God. So you start by being aware of your sin. The second thing you're aware of is that God does not have sin, that God is holy, that he is set apart. And then because of our sin and, and his holiness, we are separated in need of reconciliation. The preaching of the word of God will make us aware of that. He goes on and says, he's called to account by all in verse 25. He says, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. That means that the, that the preaching of God's word will start messing you up on the inside. That, that you'll realize that not only have I sinned and that, that God is holy and I'm, I'm in need of reconciliation with him, but there will be a stirring up inside of you that you need to be different and that you need to be reconciled with God. It's a change from the inside out. And he goes on, he says, he's convicted by all, called to account by all, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face... He will worship God. And that's a quick turnaround. <clears throat> From, I'm new here. Why are you guys doing what you're doing? The word of God is faithfully preached. The things that the Lord has already said is preached. Conviction of sin, aware of God's holiness, need for reconciliation, starts changing from the inside. And that last part is simply repentance. Turning from your sin falling on your face, worshiping God, the one thing you were created to do more than any other thing. And that happens because of the preaching of the Bible. Why do we preach? Why do I preach? And the answer to the question is, it is one of the primary ways God will change the human heart. That is why we preach here at this church. And I found that there are so many preachers out there today on TV and at other churches. And you listen to them, and it seems like that the primary goal of their preaching is not anything that 1 Corinthians just talked about, but it seems like the primary goal of their preaching is just to teach their people life lessons. You know, come, come to church and learn how to manage your finances. Come to church and learn how to have a good family life and raise great kids and come to church and figure out how to have a better marriage. Um, I call that kind of preaching moral therapeutic deism. Moral therapeutic deism. It's, it's rampant in our culture today. And that basically means this, that th there's a God, he exists, and he wants you to be a good person and he wants you to make good decisions so that you can have a good life. I hear that so often. That is the thesis. That's the point of people's preaching. Moral therapeutic deism. God, uh, God created you and he wants you to be good so that you can have a good life. That is the, that's the aim of so many people's preaching. I guarantee you, just mark my words. I'm calling my shot right now. In a few years, it's going to be the year 2020. Y'all ready for that? 2020, it's coming. And, on, and, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. In every church in America, they're going to have a sermon series called 2020, how to have a better vision, catch that, better vision for your future, All right? You heard it here first, it's coming, January 1st, 2020, how to have a better vision for your future, all right? <coughs> Moral therapeutic deism. And I want you to hear me, church, especially if you're here, you're a college student, young professional, you're, you're kind of cruising through Austin, but there's other places that you're going to go, you're going to go you're going to leave us one day and you're going to be looking for a church. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say. If you don't hear anything else I say today, tune in for just a second. And then in just a second, tune me back up. That's fine. All right, here we go. I want you to hear this. 
primary goal and the primary purpose of preaching is not to teach you to be a moral person so that you can make good decisions and live a better life. The primary goal of preaching is for you to encounter the living God. And when you encounter the living God, you become aware of your sin, you become aware of your need for reconciliation because of his holiness. And you will turn from that sin because he's changing you from the inside out and you will fall on your face and you will worship him. That is the goal of preaching. And every other thing that you could learn in church about having good kids and a good marriage, that stuff is awesome. But I'm telling you, that will always, I say always, that will be the result of you encountering God first and him changing your life. Good marriages are a result of you encountering the living God and him messing you up from the inside out. You being a good mom and a good dad one day is a result of you encountering God and him changing you from the inside out. And what the Bible is saying is that occurs, one of the places that occurs is under the preaching of the word of God. Not moral therapeutic deism, okay? <clears throat> My first semester of A&M, I went to Texas A&M, and I was, I was uh, running from God like crazy. I, I had been to church my whole life. I, I was in church nine months before I was born. I mean, I, I've, I've been to church my whole life. And getting out of my parents' house, nobody was making me get up on Sunday morning and go to church. And I could do whatever I want. I was kind of like, um, y'all ever seen the movie Home Alone, Collie McCalkin? And he first kind of, it kind of hits him that his parents are gone. He's like, woo! run through the house and got Cheetos coming out of his mouth and stuff. That, that was me, my first semester at A&M, and I was absolutely, positively miserable because I belonged to the Lord, and he would not let me go. And God used three things to change my life, radically change my life. One was another person who befriended me and took me to church. Two was worship, and I'm going to talk about that next week. We're going to preach on that. And then three was the preaching of God's word. After I, after I came to the Lord, I started attending this church called Central Baptist Church in College Station. This guy named Chris Osborne <coughs> got up and, and preached. He still does. I know him. He's a friend of mine. Preaches from the Greek New Testament, verse by verse. Um, now, I don't know if you can see this from here, but if I open up this Bible, these are English words, right? This guy gets up, and when he preaches, it is from the Greek. He gets up and preaches from the Greek New Testament, and he goes verse by verse. And the thing that I begin to understand is for the very first time in my life is I was hearing the Holy Spirit anointed preaching of the Word of God is that every single time I walked in the door as the Word of God was faithfully and, and with anointing was preached, it was changing my life. It was changing my life. Every single Sunday, as Osborne got up and he preached the word, not in a hellfire and brimstone kind of way, but in an, just an intelligent and articulate, focusing on God's word kind of way. Every single time I walked away from that, convicted of my sin and desiring to turn away from that sin in my life, and loving God more because of it. Why? It's what the scripture claims. It's if in verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and an outsider, unbeliever, enter, will they not say you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy, 
and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to count by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among him. I can't tell you how many times over the years, church, where I've kind of heard my story through people that have come and gone in the Austin Stone. I thought about it yesterday as I was kind of putting the finishing touches on my sermon, and I thought, I bet I've had over 100 emails over the last 14 years, and they all kind of say this same thing. You know, Matt, I came to the church the first time, and I heard you preach, and I hated your guts. But I came back. And the next week I came and I heard you preach and I still hated your guts, but I came back. And about the fifth time, something hit me and God started changing me. And now I want you to know I've been following Christ now for six years and I married a sweet Christian girl and my children love the Lord and I just wanna say thank you for preaching the word. I've heard that so many times over the years. There are so many biblical reasons why we preach the scripture, the Bible here at the Austin Stone, but in my opinion, that is probably the, probably the primary one. <clears throat> now, I wanna, I wanna start landing the plane to, in the sermon today to, by answering the question, why do we preach the way that we do? As I said earlier, there is a very specific intentional way that we preach the way that we do and that is what's called expository preaching it's verse by verse preaching it's and every, every once in a while two three times a year we'll stop we'll do what we're doing right now we'll have a series because the elders will say hey there's something that the church needs to hear so we'll we'll teach on this and that's what we're doing right now but typically we preach verse by verse right now we're in exodus and we'll be done i think this semester in exodus and then we're going to first peter after that which is an incredible incredible book, and, and here's kind of why we do that, beside the obvious of what I just talked about, but when I moved to Austin in 2002 to start this church, even though my life in college had been completely changed by expository preaching, text-driven preaching, I was kind of planning on preaching topically. That's what everybody did back in 2002, five steps of this, five principles of that. People were growing churches by teaching these, that moral therapeutic stuff. And so that's kind of what I was planning on doing. And, and, and a lot of the reasons I thought that you couldn't preach the scriptures, even though it had been, my life had been changed by it, is I can't tell you how many voices I had in my ear that were saying, Matt, you could never grow a church in Austin, Texas, preaching the Bible. And so many people tell me that. People that I trusted, people I loved, like, Matt, there is no way, especially in Austin, Texas, where people are smart and they're hip and they're educated and they're, artistic and they're savvy there is no way that you can go and just open up a bible and preach verse by verse they're like you need to have like cool sets on stage and and you need you need to show a bunch of movie clips I and mean, people were giving me all kinds of advice on how to preach and so i did something crazy i started looking at the bible seeing what the bible had to say about preaching <clears throat> and i couldn't get over Verses like what I just taught through in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24, where Paul says that is the preaching of God's word that changes people's hearts. I couldn't get over that. I couldn't get over verses like 1 Corinthians 2, 1, where Paul is writing to the young church in Corinth again, and this is what he says to him. He says, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. 
<clears throat> for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, when I came to you, I didn't come to you in my preaching with superiority of speech or, or wisdom. I just, I, I made Jesus the center of what I was saying, which I'm going to talk about in just a second. And then in verse 3, he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And I want you to know as a young pastor, that was, that was music to my ears because I felt all this pressure to be cool. I felt all this pressure to be relevant. I felt all this pressure to preach in such a way that you guys would be interested in, in the apostle. Paul says, when I was with you, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. In other words, he said, when I came to you to preach, I preached out of humility. It's a crazy thought. And then verse four, he says, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. He says, when I preached to you, church, I didn't preach with persuasive words of wisdom. I preached to you in a way that the Holy Spirit showed up in power. Church, what are the words that are inspired by the Holy Spirit and therefore possess the power of the Holy Spirit? Is it my words or is it God's word? There's only one word that possess the power of God because of the Holy Spirit of God. It's not my words, it's the word of the Lord. I couldn't get over. Um, and by the way, let me just finish with five there. Verse five, he says, so that, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna preach not of my words, but the word of God, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Paul says, I'm gonna preach to you the word of God, Christ-centered, because I don't want your faith to be resting upon my wisdom, but I want your faith to rest on God's power. Some of you today, your faith is shaky, and the reason it is shaky because it is built on the, on, on the, the words of some guy that talked you into following Jesus. And if some man can talk you into following Jesus, then some man can talk you out of following Jesus. But if you come to church and you encounter not the words of some man, but the word of God, and he changes your heart from the inside and God calls you to follow Jesus, no man will ever be able to call you out of following Jesus. Paul says, I want your faith to rest not on the wisdom of man, but I want your faith to rest on the power of God. I couldn't get over verses like 2 Timothy 4.1 where Paul says to his young pastor friend Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. He doesn't say, hey, Timothy, buddy, here's, I got something I want you to consider. Hey, Timothy, I got, I got something that maybe you should pray about and I think maybe it's possible that this would be kind of a cool way for you to start your church. Paul looks at Timothy and he says, I charge you. And he thinks of the, the highest thing that he can charge Timothy with. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and by his kingdom. That's a pretty big charge, amen? He says, I charge you in these things. Here's what I want you to do. Preach the word of God. That does not sound optional to me. Couldn't get over what Hebrews said about the scripture, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and it's active 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. For the word of God is living and it's active. And I, I, just, I just want you to know that I have found that to be absolutely true in my life. I love music. I love books. I'm, I'm, I know I'm kind of a redneck, but I'm more of an artist than you know, I let on. I love poetry. I love plays. I love movies. And I'm telling you something, I have never in my entire life read a book, heard a song, watched a movie, seen a play, read a poem that reaches me and touches me and changes me the way that this book I hold in my hand does. The only explanation I have for that is what the scripture says about itself is true. The only explanation I have for the fact that I've been reading this book now for about 30 years and it is just as fresh and just as relevant and just as life-changing today, it was the day I first opened it, is because what the scripture says about itself is true, that the word of God is alive and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. I couldn't get over Psalms 119, 103, where David says, how sweet are your words to me, to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Though your precepts, I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word, God, your word, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so on the very first Sunday of the Austin Stone, December 2nd, 2002, I stood up in the pulpit and the very first words that came out of my mouth in the very first sermon of this church, the very first words I ever said from the pulpit were, open your Bible to the book of John, chapter one, verse one. And I began to read it. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And four and a half years later, we preached the last verse of the gospel of John. College students came and spent their entire career in the gospel of John. That's all they heard. Their parents were like, what are you learning in college at church? John, I mean, that's all we had to give them. But again, I can't tell you how many have told me over the years that that changed their life. That's why we preach the Bible. That's why we preach the Bible. I mean, seriously, <clears throat> do you really want to come into this place? And the, and the best thing that you hear are Matt Carter's thoughts on life. Is that really what you want to come and fight traffic for? It is my thoughts on life. Do you really think that there are any supernatural power in my words? Absolutely not. I am, I am not wise. I, I am... I, who wants to hear what I have to say? What a monumental waste of time. And I'm telling you, as you leave the stone, you go to another church, if that's the best your pastor has, if that's the best he's got, it's his thoughts on how to have a better life, you are wasting your time in a monumental way. You might as well go to a Tony Robbins conference. It'll save you a lot of time and effort. We preach from the Bible, we preach from the word of God because at the end of the day, it's the only preaching even worth your time. I promise you that. Last reason why we preach the Bible, we're done. <clears throat> and this might be the most important one. John chapter five, verse 39, real quick. <clears throat> Almost done here. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Jesus says, it is these that testify about me. 
Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders of the time, and he's saying, you think that the Bible has in itself, the pages in the book has eternal life. He goes, you're searching the scriptures because you think that in them they have eternal life. What Jesus is saying is that the reason that the Bible possesses eternal life is not because it's a book. The reason the Bible possesses eternal life, Jesus said, is because the Bible is pointing to him. That's what Jesus just said. He goes, the reason there is life in this book is because this book is meant every page of it to point to the person of Jesus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Every single page of this book is true and every single page, the purpose is to point you and lead you and guide you to the person of Jesus Christ so that you will be forgiven of your sins, be reconciled to God, have life on this earth abundantly and live forever in heaven with him. That is the point of this book. And so here's the question. If the point of this book is to point you to Jesus, if that is the goal and the aim of every page in this book, what do you think the aim and the goal of our preaching ought to be? It ought to be to point you to Jesus. And make no mistake, preachers can preach in such a way that when you walk out of these doors... They're talking about how great the preacher is. You're talking about how great the sermon is, but you are not talking about how great Jesus is. Because of their humor, because of their rhetorical ability, because of their clever illustrations, you walk out going, man, that guy's awesome. That was great. What a great church. You're not even thinking about Jesus. They've missed the point of preaching. Real quick, I'll tell this story just to prove my point. (coughs) Years ago, I told this story about when I was in the court at A&M. And when you're in the court at A&M, you got the court and the band. Both of those guys wear uniforms, but they're like brothers. Uh, you can mess with the band, um, um, or whether we can mess with the band because they're our little brother, but you can't mess with the band, we'll beat you up. But we can mess with the band, right? And so one day when I was a freshman in the Corps, we, um, we had our dormitory facing the field that the band was practicing on. And so we decided one day it would be cool if we got a water balloon launcher, like one of those big ones, and we tried to like hit the band with water balloons. And so we got one of those big water balloon launchers. One guy stood on one side of the window holding the water balloon launcher. Another guy stood on the other side of the window holding the other side. One guy pulled the water balloon launcher back. One guy fed the water balloon. Another guy, because there was a tree right in front of our window where we couldn't see the field, one guy had a walkie-talkie, and another guy was in a room on the other side of the dormitory where he could see the field, and he had a walkie-talkie, and he was calling out coordinates. He was like, all right. They're on the 40. Get ready, get ready, get ready. 45. They're on the 50. Launch, launch, launch. We couldn't see anything because of the tree. And then all of a sudden, the guy down the hallway starts talking to us. He's like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You hit the drum major in the head. He's out cold. He's laying on the 50. Oh, God, they're coming. They're coming. Hide, hide, hide. Silence. The drum major, true story. Drum major was doing his thing. Bam, just hit him, dropped him out cold, laying on the 50 like that. All of his buddies were just staring down at him. They looked up at our dorm, and they grabbed their tubas and came up after us. Bunch of dudes running up with tubas and flutes and stuff, and they came up in our hallway. <laughs> and our seniors walked out with axe handles, and they ran all the band guys off. And then they lined all of us bald freshmen up, and we had to stand there at attention. And my commander looks at us and says, which one of you freshmen knocked out the fighting Texas Aggie drum major with a water balloon? 
Six of us raise our hands. He says, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life, freshman. Get out of here. <laughs> and we left. <laughs> and I, I told that story. I don't remember what I was preaching on. I was, I was preaching on, um, like, you know, don't get taken out by the enemy or something because he'll shoot water balloons at you from behind trees. And, you know, and I don't remember. And I cannot tell you how many times over the years. It's been several. Happened two months ago in June. Lady comes up to me and says, you know, I remember that illustration that you told all those years ago about you knocking out the fight and fix egg drum major with a water balloon. That's a funny story I've ever heard in my life. And I looked at her and I, not in a mean way, but I'm like, do you remember the point of my sermon? She's like, no, but that was a great story, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I mean, there, there, there is a way that I could preach if I wanted to so that you'd like me or think I'm funny and walk out of here talking about how great the sermon was because it was entertaining or whatever. But here's the thing. I just want you to hear this from the bottom of my heart. I want to preach in such a way where you don't walk out of this room talking about me. I want to preach in such a way where you don't walk out of this church talking about how great the sermon was. I want you to leave here talking about how great Jesus is. That's how I want to preach. And the only way that I can guarantee that Jesus is being exalted in my preaching is when I'm preaching from the book whose entire aim is to exalt Jesus. That's why we preach the word. I want to end today by, um, here's why I have this Bible today. My, it's the Bible that my wife Jennifer and I just gave to our son JD on his 16th birthday. He turned 16 on July the 13th, and I want to just read to you the words <coughs> that we wrote in his Bible that we gave to him on his birthday. I said, J.D., this book has meant more to your mother and I than any other book in our entire lives. It has forever changed us both. I said, J.D., I pray it will be a lamp to your feet, and I pray that it will be a light to your path. I love you more than words can say, Dad. And then Jennifer wrote, my precious J.D., I pray that God's word would be the bread that sustains you every day of your life. That you would hunger and thirst for it and be satisfied by Jesus alone, the word made flesh. I love you so much, sweet man. I'm so proud of you, love, mom. And that's my prayer for you. My prayer for my son is the same prayer I have for you, whether you are here for the first time at this church or or you've gone to church today for the 2,000th time, my prayer for you is that this book would change your life and that it would lead you and point you and guide you to the one person that actually has the ability to give you life, and that is Jesus. That's why we do it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its power. There's nothing like it in all the world. But God, I just want to pray for myself and I want to pray for every person that stands in this pulpit in this church from now until you come back. Lord, I pray that if we ever get to a place as a church where we are no longer preaching your word, I pray that you would shut this church down. 
What a monumental waste of time. Father, I pray that if there is any in this room right now that is feeling the tug of the Spirit on their heart, they're being convicted of sin. They're realizing their need to be reconciled to you so that they would worship you. The reason they were created, I pray that right now they would trust in Jesus and his death on the cross as the payment for their sin so that they could be called sons and daughters of the living God. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Lord, you are worthy of our worship. And so right now we sing to you for all that you are and all that you've done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand together.